Where were we? Okay. <laughs> At the very beginning, John. That's a very, oh, my God. So minute one begins. Oh, no. I can't believe we're like getting close to the end. It's crazy. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. 90, 91? I have to go look back at my notes. <clears throat> 91. Yeah. 91. <clears throat> Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And today we're talking minute 91 of Predator. 91, you could, you could call the Kevin Green. Hmm. Uh, you could call the Styles G. White, the Dennis Rodman, or, of course, like last week, he also wore this jersey, Mac Moore of... Mac! 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 Mac, Mac. Moore wore Mac. two Mac. numbers... Yeah, only he only wore ninety and ninety-one. Isn't this the guy that that had like stats for like two plays? <laughs> yeah, he had stats over two years for two plays. I'm thinking he must have been a backup to a backup to a backup, and just never had that big break like oh, so many people. Yeah, have, yeah. Know? So obviously, I know Dennis Rodman, the worm, mm-hmm. badass rebounder. Uh, yeah. Who's who's Styles G White? Do you know? Uh, Styles G. White. Styles is um, surprisingly a nickname. It's not his <laughs> real name. I was going to say, this <laughs> continues the trend of awesome names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is a former defensive end in the NFL National Football League. His hmm. real name is Gregory Alfonso White. Oh, good choice. Changing it to Styles with a Z. Mm-hmm. Mm. Played for a lot of different teams, the Texans, the Bucks, the Falcons, the Titans, the Saints, the Redskins, sorry, the Washington football team, right. uh, the Bears, the Cologne Centurions. I have to imagine that's some kind of French or Canadian football team. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Canadian, but someone out there will tell us. Before he goes back to the NFL to play for the Bucks and then the Vikings, he plays for none other than the arena football team known as the Orlando Predators. Oh, there it is again. This came Whoa. up earlier. Whoa. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. And am I a bad uh, sports uh, fan if I don't know who Kevin Green is? Uh, yeah, he is a Hall of Fame defensive end. If you saw him, you would know he looks like a Viking. He has like the flowing oh, okay. blonde hair. He played for the Steelers for a few seasons after playing for the Rams for a long time. Okay. I believe he's still the Green Bay defensive line coach. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. See, my my f- football is my favorite sport to watch and follow. But there's a cutoff where pre me playing fantasy football and post me playing fantasy football, I know way more about the players. Right. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number ninety one. Uh, again, to pull back the curtain here a little bit, John, you made quite the list of other things associated with the number 91. I, I can't help it. It's it's somewhat <laughs> of an obsession just diving into what these numbers mean. Uh, I The first thing that came to my mind, honestly, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was the fact that it is the product of 7 and 13. I feel like those are wow. you know, some primes that don't have all the love out there, but I love 
my prime numbers. So um, you look at number 91, you might be thinking that's a prime number, but oh, not so fast, my friend. It is not so fast. Yeah. Product seven and 13. And for some reason, I just had that in my brain for many years. Ever since Dennis Rodman wore the number 91, I thought, oh, 91 is an odd number. I mean, what like, does it significant? Is it a prime? And I found mm. out, oh, it's seven times 13. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. I if if asked quickly to say if 91 was prime or not, I might say it was prime had we not had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good one. Thanks. Yeah. What, what else um, did I do for 91? Well, once again, you have pulled out some sequels here that are impressive <laughs> from the year 1991. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, yeah, it's, it's, this is going to be the most addicting part of all the numbers now of, of Seriously. finding out. What are the sequels out there? Because I went way beyond just two. I went sometimes three, sometimes two and a half, sometimes four. You got some good ones here. Can can I start running through them again? Please. Oh, well, we have to start with the granddaddy of all sequels. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Terminator 2. Oh, I thought you were going to say TMNT 2, Secret of the Use. (laughs) Secret of the Use? I was doing this Judgment Day. (laughs) 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 Uh, But uh, it's almost, almost as good. Um, let's see. Terminator two, naked gun, two and a half problem child Two, uh, house party Two, American Ninja four, Mm -hmm. never ending story Two, child's play three critters, three teenage mutant Ninja turtles Two: the secret of the use Mm -hmm. FX Two: mannequin Two: colon on the move, on the move, (laughs) Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Mm-hmm. AKA Bill and Ted 2. Uh, Freddy's Dead. I don't know what number that one is. I don't know. Highlander 2. Uh, Fievel Goes West, AKA American Tale 2. Man. Star Trek 6. I think that's all of them. I think that's. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's all the ones that came out in 1991. Some other big movies that came out Beauty and the Beast, the animated mm-hmm. one. Uh, Silence of the Lambs, Hot Shots. Mm. Um, I love which, Hot Shots. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's it seems like I thought that parody came out a lot closer to Top Gun, but I think t- isn't Top Gun like what? isn't Top, Top Gun's like eighty six? It's eighty six. Oh, they wow. wait five years to make uh, a parody. Not so much these days anymore. Now it's like we're just going to turn around and make it the same year if we can. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, where are some other ones? Uh, oh, King Ralph. King Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I that one. New Jack yeah. City. New Jack City is awesome. I, and there's just a ton of movies I saw in the theater. I remember seeing Bill and Ted 2 and TMNT 2 mm-hmm. uh, and Hot Shots, Beauty and the Beast, T2, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a big Adam's, one that year. Adam's Family. Uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, The Rocketeer. I saw the, I remember, I think The Rocketeer is the first movie I saw by myself. Oh, wow. I remember seeing that in the theater too with God, my I family. Love yeah. I love that thing. Silly back in the day. Uh, let's see. Last Boy Scout. I had to throw that in because Shane Black <laughs> wrote that. Right. Um, uh, don't skip over my one of my favorite action movies of all time. <laughs> Double Impact. <laughs> That's also good. I was going to say break. Point, point Break. Point Break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Double impact is close though. Double impact is the next one. That's that's a good one. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Playing uh, himself twice. Dice. 
<laughs> what, what was that? Oh, cool as ice. Yeah. yeah. Drop, the, the, drop the zero and get with the hero. Words of wisdom. Drop that zero and get with the hero. Yes. I was just listening to the VHS Strikes Back with uh, former guests of the show, Chris and Dave, mm. and they did an episode on Cool as Ice. And they're in this terrible run right now where they're like Jim Cotta, Cool as Ice, <laughs> uh, Highlander 2. Oh, which is another. Did you mention Highlander 2 that also came out in 91? I think I did, although I've okay. never seen any of the Highlander movies, actually. Uh, I remember seeing the first. Yeah, I remember seeing the first three, and that was yeah. it. Yeah. They were, yeah. Not that good. Not that good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good list, man. Got lots of good movies, man. We are the, with the number being in, in the early nineties, mm-hmm. looking at movies from the early nineties is just straight up nostalgia. We're going to yeah. get, if we keep up, keep this up, we're going to get lots of really good movies to talk about. Yeah. It's just going to be Ernest scared, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was always more of an Ernest goes to camp kid. Yeah, I was. I have to say, I was more of a scared, stupid guy just because of hmm. how scary it was as a kid to have like a troll stealing the kids and t- turning yeah. them into little wooden dolls. It was so bizarrely scary. Yeah, I always liked goes to camp because they like they make all these contraptions mm-hmm. uh, and to fight back against the evil corporation. Right. I just remember the snapping turtles dropping from the sky and biting people on the balls. Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> That's then, all I remember from that movie. Really? Yeah. And one's like, they get a shot of one biting a guy on the lip and the nose. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh. They do a bunch of stuff. They also like built a catapult and they fire a toilet that's filled with like M80s or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the toilet's filled with eggs erroneous, the disgusting uh, food from the cafeteria. Eggs <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, not to dwell on this too long, but I have to mention 1991 was also the year that we got one of my favorite video games of all time, which is Super Mario World, Mm. the first Mario game for the Super Nintendo. Yes. Mm. That's the the Super Nintendo comes out in the U S in 91. It's another like, yeah, pivotal moment for me and for my brother, Aaron, you know, having all this new, technology at our fingertips literally and playing things like um super mario world um like what else did i have on there i guess that's all i had you had um you had metroid 2 mega man 4 sonic the hedgehog street fighter 2 in the arcade um battle toads yeah one of the hardest games you'll ever play battle toads on the nes yeah 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 Uh, Um, and then 91 is also a great year for music I don't know if you knew this, but that's when Nevermind comes out from Nirvana. Mm, yeah, also we all Alive. bought that album. Yeah, yeah, Pearl Jam's Alive comes out. Oh, yeah, and the 10 album. Yes, uh, and R.E.M. Uh, releases Losing My Religion. Mm. Uh, Everything I Do comes out with, what's that, Brian Adams? Oh, uh, from Prince of Thieves. Yes. Yeah. That was like one of the bigger, I remember that being one of the bigger like soundtrack movie tie-ins, like Oh, it was huge. Back yeah. In the 80s and 90s, you'd have these movie soundtrack songs that would just, I mean, it was like Let It Go from Frozen, but every year you'd have a couple of those. Yeah, like Brian Adams on Prince of Thieves. You had like Seal from Batman Forever. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. There's, a, there's a couple more that like it, part of the movie's success, 
stemmed from the video being on MTV for the song that would just was basically a commercial for the movie. Yes. Yeah. I, just like Terminator 2, they had You Will Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. I remember yeah, that was one night. Right. You know, back in the cassette days, I actually recorded that not from the radio. I recorded that off MTV on, yes. the, on the TV. So it had all the little goofy like uh, one-liners from Arnold and stuff like that in like the actual video, that video had the Terminator going to a Guns N' Roses concert. Yes. Oh my God. I forgot about that. (laughs) That's funny. Terrible. (laughs) Oh, well, what are we talking about in this podcast? What do we do here? Predator minute at a time, Jeff. I don't know. That's right. I almost (laughs) forgot. I've had a lot of vodka, John. No, no problem. We're just dwelling on the uh, the year of Blood Sugar Sex Magic '91. Oh, another great um, album, man. Good stuff. But you're right. You're right. Right. The time is a, a flat circle. Death is but a door. <laughs> time is but a window. Time is a lot of things. It's a lot but of things. Time. We're talking about minute ninety-one. Minute ninety-one. A predator opens with Dutch seeing something as he crosses the log, and it ends with Dutch moving around some rocks with two brand new spears in hand. Oh yeah, this is exciting. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about that when we get there. But uh, I had forgotten that part, um, yeah. having not watched the the end of the movie in a while. All right, so we're going to break this minute up into two parts. The first mm-hmm. part is a full 53 seconds of this minute. We carry over from last minute. Dutch is carefully walking, but quickly, across the log, uh, which is supposedly a different one than the other log where he yelled and uh, the predator fired the laser. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch hears a soft clicking sound as he looks up. Cut to the predator jumping down onto the log like a badass. Mm-hmm. We cut back to Dutch looking around back. for a back. 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 Looking around for a hiding space. Cut then to the predator looking around for Dutch, and the camera patiently pans from seeing the predator to down under the log where we see Dutch hanging onto the underside of the log. The camera then revolves. 180 degrees around the hanging Dutch, moving from his right to left. As the camera reaches about his four o'clock, he and the audience, uh, we kind of semi-spy the predator, kind of from the knees down, walking off the log and back into the jungle. Mm. Back. 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 (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 53 seconds here. Yeah. And um, my first note was that this is a wonder I had never really thought about when thinking about Predator and watching the minutes. Uh, it just kind of jumped out at me after starting to take notes that as the camera moves from right after Dutch is looking around, um, as, as soon as it cuts back to the Predator and the Predator is just looking all over, you don't right away realize that uh, Dutch is not on the log anymore until the camera just staying on the Predator and drifting down under the log is then seeing Dutch hang on to that log and rotating all the way around him. Um, or is it revolve? I think it's rotate all the way around him. Um, and then back up to the predator walking away. That's, that is all one shot. That's all of a 42 second one um, like hanging in suspense as Dutch hangs under this log. I think this is just a, a wonderful discovery right here and a wonderful example of 
showing how Dutch is having to be strong, holding onto the log, but also really patient, just trying to outweigh his enemies in, in suspense. Yeah, this is, uh, once again, McTiernan really flexing his camera work muscles because this is an impressive one shot here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I assume this this had to be a handheld camera and someone right. kind of walking down and whipping around and keeping everything uh, center frame as, as they move. So it's really cool. Um, and yeah, I like what you say about, uh, Dutch being the patient one here, right? Like this reminds me of like when you're playing a video game and you realize that the best move is to actually try to be quiet and stealthy through a level instead of trying to just blow everybody up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Boring. Boy, I know. Boring. (laughs) Uh, what do you think of the actual, um, what am I trying to say? The realisticness of this Dutch presumably gets down there in about four <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah. He does take like a second and a half or so to look around him for, I guess, a hiding spot. Uh, I don't think it's realistic, but I think it's uh, an excellent example of his desperation, but also his inventiveness because he is, he has been shown throughout the movie to be, ultra inventive, whether it's throwing the Willie's Jeep down the hill with full of C4, or it's coming up with the nothing but net trap. Um, we, we, we also have to keep in mind, like his mission right now is not to take the predator head on. He is unprepared. I don't remember if he has the bow and arrow in his hand right now. I, I probably should, but uh, I, I guess he has maybe on his back, but <clears throat> Yeah, I don't. Obviously, it's not that realistic that someone can just snap out of sight in one second. Like, what would that look like? Him standing on the log to all of a sudden going under the log without making a bunch of noise, a bunch of commotion. Right. It. It is. It's. I I only brought that up for kind of a point of discussion uh, because, of of course, it is a little uh, unrealistic, but it doesn't bother me at all. You know, it's it's movie magic to a certain level. It's also Arnold being a, a physical specimen that none of us can quite understand. So (laughs) maybe he is able to do it. And you're right. His goal right now is to not uh, fight the predator. It's to get away from him. He just got blasted out of the trees um, and he's looking to get away or hide and kind of regroup. Right. Right. And yeah, ultimately to lead the predator into his trap that he devised the uh, staking care of business a few minutes ago. So he's going to have to go basically back to that first log back, back, back and somehow not be discovered and also lure the predator back there. So who knows? Maybe a, another torch is in his future plans. We don't know yet. This uh, this this move of going. Oh, yeah. Sorry. This move of going from predator or going kind of from Dutch over to predator and we see him look around and we cut back to Dutch in the way of the slow camera pan and he's not there. This is kind of a, a movie trope and, and you brought this up in your notes a little bit. And so we can unpack this a little bit. Um, yeah. But we see this a lot uh, as a trope in movies where the camera will show one character move to a secondary character. And then as it moves back to the original character, that character is gone. Now in this case, Dutch is gone, but we find out right away where he is. But we can think of other examples of this happening. I think the the easiest one, most famous one, would be 
uh, Batman when he's having conversations with just about anybody. And uh, as the person he's talking to looks back to where he was, Batman is just gone. Things will get ugly. I knew the risk when I took this job, Lieutenant. How will you get him back, in? He does that. <laughs> right. Yeah. What, what, did, what did he say? He says, at one point, he's talking to Commissioner Gordon. He says, like, Harvey Dent, can we trust him? Harvey Dent. Can he be trusted? And at some point during the conversation, yeah, Gordon looks away, says something to answer him, looks back, and he, Batman's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah, you looked it up. Did you name it yet? I don't think you said the name. Yeah, sorry. This is in uh, TV tropes. They call this the stealth high by uh, TV trope. And they have a bunch of listed examples here. The one, uh, a couple more that jumped out at me uh, was the movie The Crow, which I used to watch a lot as an angsty teenager in the mid-90s. Uh, but uh, Eric Draven, who is the crow, um, has several conversations with uh, a cop in the story. And at the end of all their conversations, he disappears with the camera moving back and the cop sees that he's gone. Um, so that's kind of a famous one. Did you see any else on the uh, list, John, that jumped out at you? I did. I did. And hey, good work finding this TV trope because it was something that's not on the actual Predator TV tropes page. Mm. Uh, so Good searching for that because it's something I mentioned in my notes that I really, really like when the movie pulls off this trick of, I mean, you're, you're going to see it coming most of the time. Like, oh, the bad guy's right there. They're going to discover the good guy. The good guy can't be there. They can't be found. And right, it zips back to where the good guy was and the good guy's gone. Right. right. Uh, so one of my personal favorites is uh, the Spider-Man trilogy is, yeah, one of my personal favorites is in Spider-Man. Uh, the first one by Sam Raimi uh, has a scene where Norman Osborn comes into Peter Parker's room where one second before you're looking at Peter Parker standing in his room in the Spider-Man suit. It pans over to the door of people coming in pans back like, and this is great because it's panning. It's not cutting. And I appreciate Mm. the pan shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Sam Durant, Sam Raimi directing. Uh, But as it, pans right back like a whip pan back to where peter was peter's not there and then it continues where we see that peter is now on the ceiling looking down on this peter drops peter uh has a drop of blood fall from the ceiling onto the ground as norman osborne's walking out of the apartment norman osborne turns sees the blood on the ground like picks it up with his you know smears his finger and it looks at it and looks up and then peter's not there either on the ceiling anymore so it's a double really double oh it's a doble doble yeah and you can also find this in you know just about every 80s slasher movie uh flipping the switch and having it be a bad guy that we see high by would be like michael myers from halloween that happens several times in that film um Mm -hmm. You can find that happening a lot in many of the Friday the 13th films. And also on TV tropes, they have several James Bond movies listed here where um, either Bond or a bad guy are in a conversation. And as the camera moves back, that character disappears. So, um, yeah, this is something we see a lot. I like how in this film you get the initial wait, he's not there you kind of get that moment where you're like the predator is looking back and you're like, Oh no, he's going to see him. And then you realize that he's not seeing him and you're like, well, where is he? And then a couple seconds later, it's revealed uh, as the camera moves below the log. And I think that's just kind of a cool little moment of tension that's uh, drawn out really, really well. 
Yeah, and and maybe that's why it's not in TV tropes because it's not exactly that formula. Of right, right. Looking right back where Dutch was standing, and then nobody's there. But right. yeah, it does it much more artfully, um, like you're saying, and and showing us and pan, you know panning around Dutch as he's cling under that log, which is probably really hard to do. Cling under a, a hang from something with like your whole body basically horizontal it looks really hard to do yeah this would be tough uh i mean i assume that uh in movie making magic he has a little harness on here to help him hold on to the log sure but um i was thinking about if i was underneath a log like this like it's got to be kind of wet and mm. musty and lots of vines probably insects um you're trying not to make any noise and every muscle you move is going to rustle something down there, but you're trying to oh. stay super still. Yeah. It just seems pretty awful. <laughs> there's like stuff, there's like crud falling off of him, whether that's from the log or that's from his yeah. muddy, whatever exterior that who knows. There's also this red plant kind of vine plant just sticking right in his eye as the predator is seen uh, walking into the jungle. And, and, and by the way, Oh, uh, you're right. I didn't, I missed that before. <laughs> it's like, Oh, super annoying. And yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they did that on purpose to make it look super annoying. Yeah. But I, I believe the way he's oriented. And then as the predator walks away is showing us that the predator is walking the way Dutch came on the log, which is a really cool touch. Like you're, it, it's a little bit disorienting as the camera's moving around to know which way the predator's moving off the log, but it's pretty clear that he's just going the way Dutch came and looking for any signs, which is pretty spooky and pretty uh, efficient as a hunter to be doing that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, yeah, even with the camera spinning all around and other log and then back around, they keep the geography pretty easy to follow. And yeah, you're absolutely right. He's the predator is off the direction that Dutch just came from. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, do you have any other tidbits to add on this section, this long section of minute 91 beginning of the minute Dutch is looking on the log. You can tell he has to look up to see the predator. And I think it's, uh, due to him having to be careful where he walks because the vine, uh, because the log is covered with vines. So it's, it's a neat little detail that, again, you're not really going to catch on your first or 10th viewing. But if you're watching this minute over and over again, you see him look up and give that kind of Spielberg face. You might be thinking, why is he doing that? Why is he like all of a sudden looking up and seeing it? It's because he's having to walk um, or he's having to watch where he's walking. He has to be really careful where he steps. I think that's a, a neat little detail that is, right? It's not going to be in the script. It's someone's going to say it on the shooting day. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real veiny log he's mm. walking on there. <laughs> real veiny log, and it's probably also hinting towards what he's grasping while he's hanging under the log. He's probably holding onto some of those wraparound vines. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all, all connected. Yeah, that is a nice little touch, and that would make sense why he's looking down and then all of a sudden has to look up and sees the predator. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of inconsistency here as the predator is first scene jumping onto the log he's not really jumping onto the log they're just doubling the shot from the previous minute where the predator is chasing dutch and jumping from like a rock into like a bushy area um with the flame in the background that's just a double uh, whatever uh, a repeated use of that same clip but they blend it really well in that when it cuts to the predator the next time he's 
standing up from a squat. So in your mind's eye, mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, right, he just jumped onto this log and he's rising from this squatted position. So inconsistency, don't really care, but it's, you know, I saw it. I noted it because that's what we do. Yeah, I had, I would never have noticed that unless you pointed it out, to be honest. Like, that is a, it's a very quick cut and they, they, you're right, they seamlessly blend that same jump into this new log position because he stands up from that crouched position. It, it looks just like that's where he's from or what he just came from doing. So, yeah, I think it's just, I'm trying to give like a little bit of a flaw to the movie because the movie is so flawless. It's like, well, it can't be like 110%, just like 109%. That'll percent just that little, it's going to knock it down a peg or two. Right. Exactly. Right. It's already in the pantheon of movies. So just, just right. take it down a little bit guys, just give me the predator, you know, double that scene from before. Cause they must not have had the scene, because <laughs> if you think about it logistically where the predator is that would mean the predator is jumping from some really tall height onto this kind of standing alone log and who knows where the predator is meant to be jumping from in that scene it would have to be like a spider-man like jump from a, a really right tall height yeah well as we've seen he kind of floats through the jungle stings like a bee right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly last thing let's give the track a nice shout out here this is uh the track oh, known it's as... on the second page that's why i didn't see it yeah sorry. yeah start right. over again sorry okay no no it's okay it's okay i appreciate the push on <laughs> like eventually the podcast has to end and some of us just don't want it to end jeff <laughs> fair enough fair enough fair enough. let's talk more about 91, <laughs> 91. let's go back back <laughs> back uh anyway uh, the track name here is Wounded Predator. Wounded Predator. Mm. It's doing all sorts of things because it's involving the shootout from earlier with the lasers and the explosive bow and arrow. It's uh, including hanging under the log all stealth-like, and then it's including the next transition, uh, moving to uh, Dutch picking up his spears and hunting the Predator down. Yeah, this is a real nice, moody track. Track, track that they that they play here and like i said it just goes along well with that pan that long panning shot where they're kind of building out the suspense so um no real heavy drums or horns or anything just that light uh string to kind of keep us on the edge of our seat yeah nice light touch yeah yeah Very Balance nice. faster. good work good work as always as always as always mm-hmm. when's he gonna come on the show good question we gotta we gotta reach out yeah i don't even know how to reach out to these you know heavyweights like that alan silvestri and you'd be uh, like wait you guys are doing what (laughs) click yeah alan alan i think you you were disconnected on accident (laughs) come back (laughs) Uh, he'll call back he'll call yeah (laughs) he'll get right back to you All right. Uh, yeah. Are we at the second part? God. We're at, we're at the, God dang it. We're at the last seven seconds. Hey, uh, the number seven is known as a prime number. <laughs> All right. We're, okay. Jeez. The second part of the minute. We carry over from the first part of the minute. <laughs> <laughs> to the final seven seconds of this minute. Uh, we, we cut in time just a few seconds ahead. Uh, Dutch has uh, apparently, presumably, let him down from this log and is now regrouping. And we see him pulling two brand new weapons out from under some bushes. 
With these weapons in hand, he then pauses at a rock outcropping to then look into the jungle and minute. Hmm. Yeah. What, so, what is he grabbing here? We haven't seen these before, right? Yeah, I don't remember seeing these weapons before, so I can't apply Chekhov's spears to them, but he just <laughs> I thought they were TV torches at first. <laughs> Ah, this party! This time of a barbecue! See you at the party, Predator! <laughs> I've got some chicken wings! <laughs> uh, nice tenderloin! Mm, some fried Predator! <laughs> <laughs> no, but these are... When he comes around the corner, then, we see that they're kind of like a sort of spear weapon, right? Yeah, we didn't yeah. see him make any spears, so what's going on here? Uh, I don't know, but I'm excited. I like I've mentioned this before, I... I have not watched the end of this movie in a while and I'm trying to force myself not to watch ahead as we yeah. do, as we finish out this project. So when this came along, I had forgotten about these two spears and I honestly can't remember what he's going to do with them. So, um, call me excited. Uh, I want to see where this goes next minute. Yeah. It just not even looking ahead, but just looking at the spears themselves, they have the look of one being your more conventional spear Mm -hmm. Uh, This is answering a question I didn't write down because I thought to myself just the other night when you're thinking about Predator a minute at a time, as you do, (laughs) as you do, as you do, I'm thinking like, oh, all the weapons in Dutch's employ is like a bow and arrow. These two spears, he already threw away his machete and he doesn't have the M16 with the grenade launcher attachment anymore. He doesn't have the Desert Eagle, which we never saw. And then I thought, well, he was using a, a the life support system knife to cut up staking care of businesses items to make it sharp and deadly. Right. But whatever happened to that knife? And I believe we're seeing the knife right here tied to the end of a spear. Yeah, that would make sense. He he re what's the word? Repurposed it. Repurposed it into a a stabbing weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Terminator 2 stabbing weapon. Stabbing weapons cannot make machines. Stabbing weapons. <laughs> Knives and stabbing weapons. Uh, yeah, he's got a stabbing weapon here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and so uh, is he going to throw it? Is he going to set it up in some sort of like uh, uh, spear pointy trap? Mm. I don't know. I'll have to find out soon. And the other spear is looking awful lot like uh, maybe an explosive spear. I have to pause it a whole bunch because... So that's what I was wondering. I, I, I thought that maybe that he's carrying one with the pokey end and then the other <laughs> one has like a blunt end. I thought maybe that one was just backwards and we're seeing the handle of the second one. Oh, maybe. But I, it seems to have like a metal tip in the cylinder at the end of that spear. I, I, I was kind of taking that yeah. metal tip to be maybe the grenade, uh, like mm. the unexploded grenade he kept around. It's just the tip. He's just gonna. God. Just gonna, is Adam Pranica here? <laughs> it's, I, I can't help it. I've, I, uh, like I said, I've had some vodka. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> just the tip, Arnold. Hmm. Well, we can speculate as I'm falling asleep tonight and thinking about every minute of Predator. I will. I will consider uh, what what he's going to do with these. Except yeah. I find out. Mm-hmm. I think once we're stabbing, once we're blowing stuff up, I think it's uh, pretty pretty uh, much giving the predator taste of his own medicine of stabbing things and blowing things up. I like it. I like it. Let's hope it works out for him. Mm. 
All right. Well, that part's only seven seconds. Oh. I think we. I think we did it. Unless you have. Let's, did you want to talk about script differences or save that yeah, for this, this is where the if you're reading the script, this is where the script is turning into a different movie. Mm. Uh, after in the script, after Dutch has escaped the predator, um, killing everybody, and that includes Anna Anna, uh, but not Billy. So Anna Anna and Billy kind of switch places in the script there. Mm. Uh, Dutch just starts tracking the predator and trying to find the predator's camp. Try try to find possibly the predator's spaceship. Ship. Yeah, mm. the spaceship possibly. He had come across earlier in the script uh, a trap that the predator had made. This kind of electric web, zip zap kind of trap. Mm. A zip zap trap. Zip zap trap. And then he's going on this like little other encounter part of his um, pursuit of the predator, where he he's he's coming across a black jaguar in the jungle. What? Which is, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, the script um, paints these other dangers of the jungle. There's like a scene in the script also where the team is falling through all these vines and yeah. breaking ankles and almost dying there. There's cliff collapses. But in this movie, I mentioned this a long, long time ago, uh, despite all the hazards one might find in the jungle, the only hazard to the team in the jungle has been the predator. It has not been anything else. And I think it's honestly more effective like that, painting the team as like this um, invincible group of badasses and muscle men uh, not being able to be taken by any uh, just kind of natural thing. So something else, other worldly natural has to come take them out. I think it kind of tightens up the movie a bit. Like you, I don't like the idea of watching this and one, having the predator be something I'm worried about for these characters. And then also like, Oh, are they going to fall down a, a hole? Or are they going to, you know, get caught in the vines? Is a snake going to bite them or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would just sort of complicate the tension. I, I like, I like that they narrowed it down to, it just makes the movie tighter. Like it's the predator versus these guys you know, Dutch is going to navigate the jungle. He'll be fine. And we can focus on this showdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the only exception there is the slide into the water and then down the waterfall. That was kind of the only thing, but that was yeah. a nice way to move the movie on into the third act. So act. That was, act. Yeah. Act. that's a good point that that was like the one part where I felt like there was some peril that was not, predator based it was yeah yeah escaping from the predator based but it was caused by something natural right right even then like dutch is fine <laughs> right he's like he's good <laughs> I just, I just swim ashore that was, was a big fall I was 50 feet down no problem uh, i think that was 100 feet if i remember oh yeah Ugh. Ugh. um well all right uh minute 91 very nice 91. Oh, last shout out. Let's give Kevin Peter Hall some love of just Let's do being it. The ultimate villain here, just looking around. And <laughs> you know he's the ultimate villain because Arnold wants no part of him. Arnold is hiding under a log. He's not there to confront him. He's not there to brawl with him. He's not there to, you know, shoes untied, flip him in the nose kind of deal. He's He's there to hide out and not encounter the predator at all. Yeah, yeah. His mission in this particular minute is to not 
run into the predator. <laughs> okay. This is the moment of the final showdown where he does not want to show down. Right, exactly. <laughs> showdown, no show. No Something. show. Showdown, no show. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. No, that's that's all I have. So this is the part of the show where we talk weekly recommends. So uh, anything that we can recommend for the viewer, ah, viewer, whatever. <laughs> if you're watching this on YouTube, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> uh, anything for the listener to watch or listen to, or put on their feet or in their bellies, food or <laughs> beverage wise. What do you have, hmm. John? Let's see here, boy. I got. Got a couple things I could talk about. I think I'll talk about because I'll just stay on brand here um, and uh, recommend a small horror movie that I watched recently. And um, you know, new movies are hard to find these days, and yeah. uh, new movies that are decent are even harder to find these days. Um, but I watched this one. It was a little low-budget horror film. I think it's from IFC Films. Um, and it is called The Rental. Hmm. And you can find this on VOD. And uh, this is directed by Dave Franco. Oh, yeah. Brother James of James Franco. Franco. Yeah. And um, stars uh, Dan Stevens, who you might know from... Oh, yeah. The Guest. The Guest, yeah. I think he's also in Downton Abbey, if that's your thing. He's um, in the Beauty and the Beast remake. Oh, yeah. Um, also... Beast. Alison Brie, who I've always loved as a comedic actress, but here she's in a more dramatic role and does a really good job. Um, and then several other character actors. But the plot is a simple. Um, it's a, a tropey plot, actually, for a horror movie. It's a couple, uh, two couples go to a, in this case, an Airbnb to spend the weekend there. And um, some horror begins to happen. And... Uh, what I like about this horror movie is that it's a bit of a slow burn. And for almost the first 45 minutes, it's really just character development where we get to know these two couples, some of the issues they have. These two couples are friends and there's some tension between some of their friendships. Um, and so they really do a good job of kind of setting up uh, kind of some, some non-horror tension that's going on in the group that ends up sort of uh, transitioning into the kind of the more the main horror that we get in the third act. So uh, I thought it was pretty good. A pretty good little, um, I think it's a debut for Dave Franco. Um, so yeah, I mean, not great, but definitely worth checking out, especially if you like uh, horror movies. So, and of course, it's a nice, tight 90 minutes, which I always appreciate. Oh, so, it's the best. Yeah. yeah. So uh, check out The Rental. The rental. Did it make you feel like thinking twice the next time you go to an Airbnb? Yeah, yeah. Or just made me realize that I'm just gonna not go do an Airbnb with another couple. <laughs> <laughs> Although both these couples uh, did not have kids, and so oh. in that in that regard, I was jealous. <laughs> <laughs> It is one of those things I notice now in movies. Like I used to notice like, oh, like I wonder what job that person has to afford that kind of house yeah. or rental space. And now that's what I think about. Like, oh, I don't have oh, kids. I don't have kids. Uh, no. I'm joking. I love my children, but 
<laughs> it's a global pandemic and I'm stuck in the house with them all day, every day. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, That's what do you got on the record? <laughs> <laughs> what do you got on the recommends for us this week, John? Well, um, with, uh, me also spending lots of time with the kids at home these days. Um, I mean, partly it's summer anyway, so that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I moved, I kind of graduated the kids from like the bigger kind of blockier Legos. They're not even Legos. They're not even Duplos, whatever they were. Right. Um, so like, <clears throat> my like four giant sized bins of like real Lego pieces. Nice. And so um, one of the fun things I've been doing is just kind of building like these little vehicles and buildings as Gus and Eva are playing with like whatever other little things that they're finding like they're whether it's the minifigures or little Lego animals or some of the cars and buildings I've been building yeah um, little people yeah little little people the Lego people um one of the uh big sources for Lego pieces you could go to Lego and go through their pick a brick thing to like buy specific pieces Mm. Uh, but that can be a little bit expensive seeing as all those pieces are brand new um and i guess from what i've heard they can take a long time once you ship them Mm. Uh, (laughs) this recommendation is really for uh timmy's bricks uh one of our listeners and members of the predator minute listeners palapa oh nice Uh, but um if you want to buy like really specific whether they're older sets that are discontinued and Lego's been around for 40 odd years, 50 years. So there are going to be a lot of sets discontinued or you're looking for just specific pieces, new or used, you don't care. Uh, I recommend going to bricklink.com, bricklink.com. And you can build like these wanted part lists and then find like the cheapest, easiest way to buy those parts from the fewest amount of sellers. And there are huh. just tons of like individual sellers on Bricklink. Um, and you can, yeah, buy all the parts to build whatever kooky dream thing you dream up. Um, wow, so, that's pretty cool. Uh, Bricklink.com. Uh, yeah, check it out for all kinds of crazy sets and mocks. Mock is a Lego term, M-O-C, meaning my own creation. Hmm. Nice. Uh, it's, it's actually caught on to the point where Sarah even uh, built a Lego garage to design what uh, her vision for our garage is <laughs> so we're gonna awesome. have some yeah, yeah, awesome. people um, take a look at it and try to help us realize converting part of the garage to uh, a mudroom a laundry room slash nice. bathroom oh that's awesome oh hey can I throw in a, one more quick recommend no problem oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, uh, something that I like to do with my friends pre-pandemic was to play cards have like home poker games every once in a while i like playing cards i like playing poker and i have a lot of friends that do too and with the pandemic we can't really do that anymore so the question then became how can we continue to have home games and play with each other online Um, impossible there's no way (laughs) there is what i'm here to tell you about it now there are probably several ways to do this, and I've, I've played around with different websites. What I don't like about most websites is you have to download uh, software to your computer, 
And perhaps if that software is uh, not legal in the state you live in, you have to also download a VPN uh, to cover up where you live just so you can use the software to play with play chips with your friends virtually. And it's a giant pain in the ass. But I found an awesome website. Actually, a a friend of mine turned it on to me. And it's called uh, PokerNow.club. Hmm. And club. if you go to, to pokernow.club, it is a 100% web-based poker software. Nothing to download, no accounts to create. There's not even any ads on the screen. This is completely uh, created by an independent person who just asks for the occasional Patreon donation to keep this thing going. Um, and it works incredibly well for it being a free service. And um, all you do is open up that, type in that website, you start the game, it gives you a link, you send the link to your friends, they click it, they jump onto the table, and you're all playing cards together. And uh, I've been very, very impressed by how easy and user-friendly it is. So if you want to play virtual poker games with your friends, check out pokernow.club. A little free plug for for that uh, independent project. Huh. So... I guess my question would be, why would certain sites not allow you to just play for chips? Well, they do. So, like, I did this with another another time using uh, PokerStars, mm-hmm. PokerStars.net, right? Okay. Which you can download onto your computer, but Washington State has such strict online poker laws that you're not even allowed to play with play chips legally on their on on a poker oh. website. So even to so you can set up a home game on like say Poker Stars, and use play chips and then just Venmo each other money at the end. But even to do that, you have to download, install it, create an account, and you have to also set up a VPN to disguise your location if you're oh. in Washington State, like I am. Right. And and they also do what's called taking a rake, which is they pull a certain amount of play chips from every pot, which just messes up the totals at the end. Right. Um. So PokerNow.club does none of that. It's completely web-based, and it's just much faster and easier to set up, especially for people who are a little less tech-savvy. So huh. highly recommend it. Okay. Well, thank you, yeah. PokerNow.club. And uh, speaking of being less tech-savvy, Jeff, where can people find you? Ah, that was actually a good one. Um, yeah. You can find me on the Twitter, Carl underscore Hungus 314. I am Jeff Glover. Find me on the Twitter sphere. My name is Carl Ishbin Expert. Oh, and, and yeah, uh, that was just a joke. I know you're very tech savvy. I've seen your channel. <laughs> no, I, I, I watch your YouTube videos. Like this guy has. <laughs> I do. I do have them. I have my own YouTube channel. Come learn math. Slash <laughs> <laughs> YouTube. Where can we find us? Slash YouTube. Where can we find all things Predator Minute Job? Hey, I'm glad you asked, Jeff. Um, I'll start off with the Predator Minute listeners Palapa on Facebook. Come there, join the group discussions that we throw around uh, targets the center of the palapa 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 uh, you can also find us on twitter at predator minute or you can email the show and there's a reason i'm ending with that uh, you can email the show predator minute at gmail.com and as i said in previous weeks if you email the show and I'll probably put some conditions on it now so people don't <clears throat> abuse that or anything like that. But <laughs> if you email the show, uh, we will read your email on the air. And do you have 
the first email up. I'll read the second one if you like. We got this email from friend of the show, Brian Campus, who says, Hey, fellas, thanks for the shout out on the show today. Absolutely love the show. I'm going to be crushed when it concludes. Oh, me too, Brian. Anyways, I wanted to say I came this close to emailing you guys last week saying the exact same thing as the guy who emailed this week. I've always heard it as Targets, the center of the Palapa, too. Targets, the center of the Palapa! It was one of the main quotes my friends and I would yell as we played War in the Woods. Nice. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. He goes on to say, funny story, I saw Predator in the theater opening weekend for the conclusion of my 14th birthday party. About six or seven of my friends and my dad. My dad had no idea what this movie was about. And when he went up to pay for our tickets and saw it was rated R, he asked the ticket lady, is there any sex in this movie? She looked at all the kids and whispered to him, no, but a guy's chest explodes. Yeah. He bought our tickets and gathered the boys and said, there's extra popcorn in it, kids. That uh, for kids that don't squeal to their parents, you guys are gonna love this. <laughs> Everyone told their parents that we saw Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> Keep up the awesome work, Brian Campus. Hey, thanks, Brian, and that's an awesome Predator story. Yeah, an awesome Predator reference, of course. Harry and the Hendersons. Who played Harry? Kevin uh, Peter Hall. Kevin who Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. <laughs> that sounds like an awesome dad. Do you have any uh, fun, like, dad take you to the movie stories like that? I, I have one. Um, you know, my dad was not a big going to the movies guy because he did not like to sit in the seats. He always found them uncomfortable. But my dad, uh, my mom would take me to movies a lot, actually. Okay. But, but my dad took me to, like, my three big memories are my dad taking me to Batman 1980, 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, the first R-rated movie I ever saw in the theater, Terminator 2, when I was 11 oh. years old. I was going to say, I didn't even mention that. I forgot to mention that. My, my That was my second one I saw, and that came out in 91. Hey, we talked yeah. about and the first one was The Hard Way, which came out a few months before that. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and um, my dad taking me to see Jurassic Park. That was awesome. Mm, nice. Yeah. Yeah. What was your dad movie story? <laughs> it was uh, the Timothy Dalton James Bond movie. Uh, wait, what was he? It was oh, The Living Daylight to Kill. Mm-hmm. I, it was one of the, I think it was the second one, which is, God dang, that's going to tear me up. License to Kill, 1989. License to Kill, 1989, spy film with What's-His-Face, Timothy Dalton. Love Timothy Dalton. He was in that movie. Where is this? Flipping filmography. Film, 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 film. Living Daylights and License. Okay. Yeah, he was taking us to License to Kill. Yeah, he was taking us to License to Kill. And like before he went in, he told me and Aaron... (laughs) Uh, brother of the show, Aaron, um, he told us, okay, there's going to be some sex and some violence uh, in this movie. Just just giving you a heads up. And there was. <laughs> just, just, I don't remember much else about what he said. I just remember like him giving us that little forewarning. <laughs> That's funny. That's when you just don't make eye contact with your parents while it's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like that scene in True Lies. I remember watching that with Sarah and like the rest of my family, like, oh boy, this is awkward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she still remembers that. Like, what are we watching? <laughs> the stripping scene. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, no, slowly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did right, we so, have another listener email? Yeah. Um, 
Doug sent us a couple emails. You know, I'll read off the first email if that's okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. So promise we'd read them. So here's what he sent. <clears throat> Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes under our sight, <laughs> chief. We was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady. Just delivered the bomb. The Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger. 13-footer. You know, you know, when you're in the water, chief. You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. (laughs) They didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first life, chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like uh, you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. And the idea was shark comes to the nearest man, and that man, he'd start pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes it wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes. <laughs> When it comes to the entire monologue, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white, and then oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and spite all the pounding and hollering, they all come and they rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men. They averaged six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland, baseball player, bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up, bobbed up and down in the water just like a kind of top, upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. Hooper, a Lockheed Ventura saw us. He swung in low and saw us. Young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper. Anyway, he saw us and come in low and three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and start to pick us up. You know, that was the first time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went into the water, 316 come out, and the sharks took the rest. June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Uh, So thanks, Doug, for sending that email. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, Doug. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, thank you, Brian, for sending us the little movie outing experience with your dad. Yeah, that was awesome. That's yeah. a good story. Yeah. Good story. Good story. Uh, good story, Doug. That's <laughs> 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 been terrifying. And thank you for your service. Uh, but again, if you want to email the show, predatorminute at gmail.com. For all things Predator Minute 91, I've been John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. <laughs> more like, more like, hang around. Am I right? No. Hey. hey. Waka waka waka. Waka waka waka. <laughs> <laughs>